Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Headstock with me, Lane Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. Today has spent 30 years in the professional services industry in the largest of the organizations known as the Big Four. He holds the position of chairman and has effectively worked his way up into this role. He's passionate about building a sustainable future and actively advocates for causes such as conservation, socioeconomic, inclusion, and diversity. An interesting episode awaits my listeners today on Heads Talk, but before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. Privcap Resources Group is a fast-growing Canadian-based private capital leaders platform facilitating access to investment insights, resources and capital for its members. It runs senior level forums on private equity, venture capital and real estate under the brand name The Club Series in North America and the Euros Forum in Europe. Go Real 2021, its up-and-coming private equity real estate forum, will be held online this spring For details, please visit us at www.clubseries.org. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Sanjeev Krishan is the chairman and CEO of PwC India. He was elected early this year and has spent three decades in the firm. He became a partner in 2006 and has successfully led the firm's transactions, private equity and deals business over the years, getting the firm to a preeminent position amongst its private equity clients and their investee companies. Sanjeev has extensive overseas and Indian market knowledge and has served diverse leadership and client service roles. He is a known expert in private equity engagements and has spearheaded the relationship with global private equity funds. Having spent some time in PwC Sweden, he mostly worked on cross-border deals where he raised the firm's focus on a number of funds. Other fascinating information about Sanjeev is that he is a regular speaker at events, seminars, and leadership discussions, both in India and overseas. He's an associate member of the Institute of Chartered Accountants of India, and Sanjeev graduated with a first-class honours in economics from the University of Delhi. Let's have a conversation with Sanjeev now. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Sanjeev to Headstock. Honoured and delighted to have you here today. Thanks, Elaine. I'm looking very much looking forward to the conversation. Me as well. Okay. Um, as stated in the introduction, you were elected as the PwC chairman India early this year. Firstly, many congratulations on your election, and I wish you every success possible on this journey. Now, with your new position, what would you like to achieve in your four-year term? What are your priorities for development, change, or resolution? And what would you like to see at the end of the four years? Perhaps an indication of the success of your tenure. Yeah, thanks, Rain, once again. Uh, so, you know, uh, you mentioned the time that I've spent in the firm. And uh, let me just start by saying that it has really been uh, the people in the firm over the years, uh, and more importantly, the purpose that the firm has, which, uh, which, has, which has in some ways uh, made, uh, kept me going all these years. Mm-hmm. You know, my purpose is to build trust in society and solve complex client problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it is the people uh, who have been part of this journey, who have been working, uh, who I've been working with uh, 
to make this purpose possible. Now, as I take on this role, Elaine, uh, and you know, I've been a little over five months in the role now. Um, one of the things which sort of uh, uh, you know comes to me is that you know uh, the partners of the firm and the people have entrusted me with their future, and I need to make sure that I provide the flight to their aspirations. Mm. Now, uh, we as a firm, uh, a purpose-led firm, want to make sure that we are able to drive the aspirations of our people and partners. and we want to do it in a balanced way mm-hmm. we are living in a world lane which is uh, which is highly disrupted uh, it is being disrupted by technology it is by being disrupted between uh, haves and have nots there is disruption of age there is disruption uh, of geopolitics and so on and so forth now in this world uh, you when a professional services firm is is trying to drive its agenda uh, it it has to focus on uh, two broad parameters as we look at one is trust which again goes to the purpose to build trust in society mm-hmm. and the second one really is to be able to be uh, creating sustained outcomes uh, for for our clients and those would be the two pivots of the balance growth that i wish uh, to achieve uh, for the firm in india and for our partners and pe- people uh, as 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 things stand uh, those two pivots are also part of the of the new strategy that pwc mm-hmm. has launched globally and the indian narrative of it uh, we will be launching shortly so i would say that you know those are the two pivots on which we would continue to work on uh, and i'm quite confident that as we detail uh, what all we will do as part of the trust and the sustained outcomes narrative for our clients um, and uh, there will be enough uh, for our people and partners to feel excited about okay that's fantastic um let's now look at um, a topic and question that is frequently asked on heads talk and um, it would be great to hear your experience and observations on this it's it's about covid's impact on people business and country it's just over a year since the start of covid and lockdown across the globe how has it impacted the professional services business and what was um, or is the state of staff morale their well-being health mental health and the work life balance yeah No, Elaine. Thank you so much, and that's a that's a very very relevant question. Um, from an India standpoint, I think uh, the first wave was hard, uh, but I think the second wave, uh, of which I like to believe that we are just coming out of, has been harsher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the first wave, we were all in it together. There were significant uh, health challenges that many of us faced, many of our teams faced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the bigger challenge at that point in time, uh, because we were all together in it, and it was it was in some ways. a uh, new to all of us and mm. i i would say that the sense of responsibility that we exhibited was tremendous during that time um was also to keep our business going and we managed to do it reasonably well because of the adoption of technology um mm. that we had i mean you know you, you you had various cloud applications that were adopted and that made sure that while we while we while we sort of were focusing on our clients uh in a in a way that there was no business business disruption we were also making sure that people could work from their homes and the safety of their homes and continue to work for longish periods of time mm-hmm. uh, of course as you said and very rightly so i think the big focus was on uh, people's mental well-being as well mm-hmm. but let me tell you that this has really been the second wave which has hit us over the last two and a half months which has been a bigger challenge because in some ways uh, maybe it came maybe it came like a whirlwind and you know we were possibly not ready for it um i think the you know as a nation i would say that for a brief period of time uh, india's health infrastructure suffered um mm-hmm. 
and unfortunately we suffered as well as a consequence much as we try to do uh, uh, what 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 we did for our people there were volunteer care groups in every major cities who were trying to find the right information uh, for our people uh, with respect to hospital beds with respect to oxygen with respect to medicines uh, all that we did elaine was was still not sufficient and we lost 14 people in uh, in the in the yeah. last few months um and as we are coming out of it uh, i have to say that mental well being is one of the big focuses for us going to go forward basis because it has impacted this wave has impacted the the middle class the uh, the, the urban uh, middle class and also now you know uh, also impacting some of the rural segments of the population and you know uh, we actually uh, pride ourselves for the focus that we get to our people and i must say that there has been times where we have felt helpless uh, you know in terms of being able to provide uh, medical facilities to our people mm-hmm. now that that is over we are focusing on the mental well being of our people yes. uh, you know we just asking them to take some time off you know just just to refresh themselves i mean of course if somebody is is being challenged by the covid mm-hmm. uh, uh, second wave then of course there is some time off but you know we just asking them to just rewind take some time off not look at tv not look at their whatsapp messages but just uh, you know just just refresh themselves and come back to work um, you know uh, in some ways that is very very essential mm-hmm. uh, we do need a bit of a reboot and i, I do believe that uh, you know we will come through this uh, stronger uh, the other part which i must say uh, has been uh, and i must compliment all my partners and my people for the continued focus that they have had on our clients even during this very very difficult time right in the first wave the focus was our clients were equally disrupted and the focus was that uh, we invest in their success because we believe that if our clients succeed we will succeed uh, and our people and our partners have continued to sort of focus on their client work in spite of some very very challenging situations that they faced both across the first and second wave elaine i'll just say that for a professional services firm trust relationships and value are really the uh, i would call the three uh, critical currencies mm-hmm. uh, and i'm just proud that the way uh, we as a firm have come together in india uh, and exhibited those in the last 15 uh, 15 months or so mm. oh, fascinating you know okay you briefly just talked about the country and the pandemic's impact but let's talk generally about india's economic climate and its position on the world stage i'm going to ask you about the the new global strategy in my next question but please address this one first what does the current economic climate in india look like what are the challenges what are the opportunities out there and you would be great to know what sectors are driving the fast growing economies in construction tech manufacturing service industry etc what does the climate look like sanjeev so uh... Elaine, um, uh, as you said in my introduction, I've been a deals person. I've been a private equity person, yes. and uh, you know it's been it's been my uh, absolute pleasure to be a bit of an ambassador for India over the years mm-hmm. uh, in trying to get a lot of investment into the country in terms of getting investors excited about the Indian landscape. And we have made substantial progress. Let me just say, I mean, you know, uh, over the last many many years, whether it is about food security. whether it is about the literacy rate in india whether it is about life expectancy you know mm-hmm. all of those parameters are showing a very significant improvement in india and you know this is very important from a societal problem because uh, from a societal standpoint because if the society at large 
is, uh, is, 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 is buoyant and it is starting to do better, then only can businesses flourish. So I think that's, that's, that was the first point, uh, you know, from my, my perspective that, you know, from a societal perspective, we have continued to do better and that creates the right environment of business. I mean, if you look at it, we, everybody will tell you that there's a very sizable middle class in India, almost expected to have $6 trillion in spending by 2030. And I think that continues to be um, a very significant uh, uh, attractiveness for foreign investors into the country. Mm-hmm. Also, it is about you know, our, our middle class. I think it was 2018 when, the, when, the, when people in the working age groups uh, exceeded uh, the people who were outside the working age groups, for instance. And, you know, it just goes to show the huge demographic dividend that India has. And I think, you know, that's something which obviously continues to attract uh, investors into the country. But let me just talk about two or three things which, uh, uh, you know, which we have done well in the last few years. I think the, one, of the, one of the key things has been the reforms process. Uh, I would admit that it has been a bit of a start and stop over, uh, if you look at the history over the last 25 years, Mm-hmm. But over the last uh, seven to eight years, we have been on a continuous uh, reform journey, whether it was uh, the GST, uh, finally, which came through uh, the insolvency and bankruptcy code, which came in, uh, which hopefully uh, is in the process of solving our huge NPA problems, uh, uh, or indeed, uh, most recently, the reforms that we are, try- we are trying to attempting to do on the labor, labor side and the land side, etc., these have been some of the areas, and some of these are actually more state subjects, etc. Mm-hmm. But you know, the fact that we are firmly on the on on, on the reform process is uh, convinces me that uh, we will continue to be attractive. Yes, there could be a bit of a pause because of what we have experienced in the second wave, but I'm quite certain that uh, investor in, interest in India will come back. No mm-hmm. doubt that India will have to compete with the with the with the rest of the with the mm-hmm. rest of the globe. I mean, infrastructure development. I mean, even in emerging markets, you know, they are they, they need to redo their infrastructure. So if India is looking for intro infrastructure investment, it has to compete with some of the matured markets. Mm. But uh, but I'm I'm quite certain that uh, there are many things going for India, and it will cause uh, the investor interest to come back uh, to India. Uh, I mean, I have to say that um, in the first five months of 20, uh, 2021, we have we are we actually looking at 40. Uh, billion dollars of uh, of transactions uh, right across our private equity and MA segments, and you know these 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 actually tell me that there is significant there continues to be significant appetite in India, and this is across sectors. I mean, you know, there's a significant focus on the digital sector in India uh, as consume as consumers consume differently. There's a whole focus on digital. There continues to be a focus on infrastructure, and I do believe that sectors like healthcare, education. And financial services would continue to need significant investments in times to come, and uh, those would be opportunities for uh, for for investors uh, in the country. Okay, that's that's pretty comprehensive. Thank you for that, Sanjeev. And part two to this question um, is, if you can, for my listeners, elaborate on your initiative, the new global strategy. What is that all about? Yeah. So I think the as I as I mentioned the the. Uh, we launched the, the, the new equation, if I may call it that, um, just a few uh, a few days back, and it is all about um, uh, trust and, and and creating sustained outcomes for our clients. Uh, this is a this is this is something that um, you know we have worked upon um, over the last few uh, 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 I would say a few years, uh, mm-hmm. and the intention was really to look at 
what really has been uh, the key drivers for the world. And as I mentioned at the outset, that there's been, we have seen significant disruption, um, which has caused, uh, which has been caused by a multitude of factors. I mentioned technology, age, mm-hmm. geopolitics, and so forth. And we clearly felt that there was a need uh, to create greater trust in businesses um, amongst, amongst uh, their ecosystem that a business operates in, vis-a-vis their employees, vis-a-vis their vendors, vis-a-vis their customers. Uh, it could be, the trust could be in different ways. I mean, it could be a, with, with a, a tax matter, it, it, is, it, is, it is about governments. Uh, we have seen some of these actually manifesting itself in a way um, that, you know, uh, and as a professional services firm, let me say that we do believe that it is, it is contingent upon us to sort of uh, be, uh, uh, be, the, uh, be the organization which is able to create trust in everything that we read. It could be financial statements, it could be a tax compliance matter, it could be a diversity statement, it could be the whole focus on ESG, which globally corporates are taking in a very big way. So we just felt that it was uh, absolutely contingent upon us to focus on building trust in uh, society uh, in a very big way. And that's the first pivot. The second pivot obviously is, and and I again go back to the disruption that I was talking about, Businesses are facing significant disruption, again, because of so many things that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Now, as they look at uh, transforming their business, as they, as they sort of work on making sure that one businesses keep safe from, let's say, cyber threats, from, uh, from any other challenges that the businesses might face, and then continue to grow, you know, the, as they continue to sort of embrace transformation, whether it is digital or some other transformation that they might do, as they look at their operations, as they look at uh, maybe focusing on uh, uh, you know, a huge amount of outsourcing that they might do. We need to be part of our customer's journey. We need to be part of the journey as they transform their businesses and create sustained growth for themselves and create sustained outcomes for themselves. And that's, that really causes a second pivot. Um, so it's really about creating trust in, uh, in society and our wider stakeholders mm-hmm. and also about being uh, uh, by, uh, in, in terms of creating sustained outcomes for our clientele uh, and being part of their transformation journey. All right. So it's quite exciting times ahead, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I have to add, uh, Elaine, that uh, I'm, I'm quite hopeful uh, mm-hmm. that this will create, it will re-energize our, our people and our partners. Yes. Because as I said, it, it goes back to the firm's purpose, which is to create trust in society and solve complex client problems. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do hope that it will energize our people, our partners, and also something which, uh, you know, our ecosystem, whether it is uh, government regulators and others will resonate with, as well as our clients will resonate uh, with this, uh, considering that we are, we are, we will in our small way contribute to their agendas. Okay. You know, um, I've now done a few um, episodes where merger and acquisition has been the main or one of the main topics of discussion. And I'd love to have your perspective on things in this service line. Let's look at merger and acquisition during this unique and unusual period that we're living in at the moment. What are some of the deals, lucrative deals to be had, um, Sanjeev? And so how buoyant is the merger and acquisition market at the moment? Is it dormant? Is it buoyant? And if you could give us um, a flavor of what you are seeing in the Indian marketplace in particular, and perhaps what movements have you observed as a result of the pandemic? So, um, Elaine, I have to say that it has been deal, a deals-led recovery in India. Mm. Um, 
you know, last year, uh, the M&A and P numbers were, were staggering. And as I mentioned that in, in the first five months, uh, we have almost seen uh, almost $40 billion of deals this year as well. Uh, see, there are three or four factors which are driving this, uh, this entire focus. Uh, I think the first and foremost is the huge focus uh, on the digital side. And there has been a huge amount of investments which have gone into, uh, into everything digital. Uh, it is about uh, because you know the way the customer is consuming in a different way, but it is also about uh, you know uh, the way technology is challenging uh, the more traditional way of delivery. Whether it is uh, whether it is about uh, you know education, whether it is about food delivery, whether it is about uh, you know healthcare, everything is being delivered today in uh, uh, which is embedded in technology, and in some ways that is causing a significant shift in the customer's interest and appetite for anything which is uh, any business which is creating digital assets or creating a digital digital mode of connecting with their customers i have to also say that uh, it's the this matter has not been lost upon some of the largest conglomerates in the country right. and you could see some of the largest conglomerates in the country uh, many of them who were doing b2b businesses wanting to uh, acquire uh, b2c businesses or in some ways uh, you know, be nearer to the customers. So as they as they as they acquire B2C businesses, as they want to get closer to the customers, it is creating another wave of uh, mergers and acquisitions in the country. Mm-hmm. That's the first one, Elaine. The second one really has been the significant amount of consolidation that the businesses uh, have been seeing over the last few years. Partly, it has got to do with the fact that uh, post uh, demonetization, uh, the GST, etc., coming along. Uh, we have seen a significant amount of consolidation, which has ha- already happened. Also, pursuant to the insolvency and bankruptcy code, a lot of the companies which, which had very fragile balance sheets and were subjected to the insolvency code, they have actually been acquired by, by companies which have stronger balance sheets and ability to, uh, to restructure these, uh, these fragile, uh, fragile businesses. Now, that has caused a significant amount of consolidation, even in the core sector of India. And I think that's a key trend that we, that we have seen. I suspect this trend will continue because there are obviously certain sectors which will get quite uh, adversely hit by the second wave of the pandemic in India. And I do believe that the whole consolidation story will continue in India. Now, the third, the, the third thing which is driving NMA, and you might ask the question is that, you know, apart from the conglomerates, uh, you know, there must be somebody else who's causing consolidation. And yes, there exactly is. And, you know, a lot of those are actually being funded by the private equity house. Uh, who are actually quite focused on doing uh, doing buyouts in India at this yes. point in time. Those could be in the pharmaceutical sector, uh, those could be in the healthcare sector, those could be in the financial services sector, uh, or indeed they could be um, in the in, in the in the in the real estate sector, or indeed in any of the infrastructure sectors. I think uh, you know uh, the fact that in, in India you have the entire spectrum of funds from. Uh, from a startup fund to a venture fund to a growth fund to a late growth fund uh, to buyout funds and also pension funds and sovereign wealth funds in India uh, means that you know you have all kinds of capital available and of course in recent times you also have the distress uh, funds in India working so you have all kinds of uh, capital which is available uh, to fire the Indian economy um, and you know to in some ways help grow some of these businesses uh, in some ways provide. Uh, first-generation entrepreneurs the opportunity to get capital to to take some of the stress businesses and turn them around, and of course, in some cases, uh, simply to ride the wave of area in areas like digital and financial services. So I think that's a third element which is driving uh, the whole uh, focus uh, on on M and A. 
And I think the last one that I like to talk about, something that I'm absolutely proud of, is is the spirit of entrepreneurship. Uh, and the spirit of entrepreneurship in India continues to cause significant opportunities for funds to uh, to take calibrated bets with first generation entrepreneurs and uh, and you know uh, fuel their fuel fuel their ambition, growth ambitions, and uh, in, in many of those have come out. Very, very well. I mean, it is, uh, Elaine, I must tell you that uh, today we have 51 unicorns in India. Hmm. Uh, and just a, just a few months back, we were at 36. So you can well imagine that, uh, yes, I mean, some of these valuations may be, may be, may be more, maybe mm-hmm. bronze. But the good, good, good news is, and from my perspective, that the spirit of entrepreneurship in India is live and kicking. That's fantastic. And, you know, as, since you mentioned it, as an add on to, to, to the question, um, you know, you have the credentials in this space. This is private equity, this question. And I know we could almost dedicate several episodes of Ed's talk solely on this topic because of your breadth of knowledge. But for now, and brief if you can, is the climate good for IPOs, for example? And what are the other trends in the private equity space? Yeah, I think there is a, a see, I think from an IPO standpoint, uh, um, I think it's been a, it's, it's a good time. In fact, uh, I would, I would suspect that uh, even in the month of June, there will be a significant amount of IPO raising, domestic IPO raising in India. A lot of the mature um, uh, businesses, mature startups, should I call them. Uh, so uh, I have, have actually enlisted their plans to domestically raise money. Um, in, in some of these cases, some of them were actually looking to list overseas. Uh, some of them were looking at uh, even doing SPACs um, and you know uh, go, go to the US. In many of these cases, they are possibly now thinking of doing uh, uh, Indian IPOs uh, while they continue to uh, focus on their uh, their overseas uh, listing plans. And I think this is actually driving significant amount of IPO activity in the in the country. Also, you know, I think IPOs also are serving as a great exit route for private equity investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, after a bit of a lull, I would say I think the IPO market is quite buoyant uh, you know, in, uh, in India in 2021. And there's a fair amount of liquidity, honestly. There's a sig- significant amount of liquidity uh, for uh, available for, uh, for these IPOs. Um, I would also say that uh, in some, way, uh, some ways, um, equity as an investment class uh, has been uh, in some ways recognized even more uh, by, by, by Indian institutional investors, uh, Indian family offices, high net worth individuals, and of course, the Indian population at large. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that also contributes. We all know that the big, uh, the, the success of the IPO is caused by large institutional investors, but don't forget this, this, uh, this segment, which is also causing um, the success of the IPOs in India. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Right, let's get back to India on the world stage. India by far is the biggest democracy. It has a diverse society, great young minds, a thriving digital ecosystem, innovations, a booming service and manufacturing sector. You've mentioned earlier about the $6 trillion spending predicted by 2030. This is an open question for you to take in whichever direction you would like. So what, Sanjeev, excites you now and for the future? For instance, technological developments or something you are passionate about, like sustainability innovations, or even people's resilience through this difficult period of our history. What say you, Sanjeev? Uh, I think, uh, Elaine, uh, I think, first of all, I want to thank you for that question. Uh, I think, uh, you know, from, a, from an India perspective, 
I do believe there cannot be a better time. Uh, mm. You know, the the good news is, as I said, that the reform process is well and truly on. Um, I think there's absolutely no looking back. Uh, I think there's going to be more reform than less, and uh, this is pretty exciting. Exciting from a business standpoint. Uh, the 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 good news also is, uh, as I look at it, the capital cycle revival in India isn't far away. Mm-hmm. and uh, that should be a significant job creator we actually need it i mean you know i think after the second wave and how some of the msme um, might have suffered i think we need that capital cycle revival to happen i do i do believe that that, that isn't far away uh, the government has been spending a huge amount of uh, money in recent times i suspect uh, the private sector is not going to be far behind in contributing to the capital cycle and creating capacities uh, and considering the the and we have spoken about it, you know, uh, the availability of capital, uh, even even debt, um, uh, you know, the cost of debt at this point in time is what it is. Uh, uh, so we have easy availability of money. I do believe that uh, the grounds have been set for the capital cycle revival in India. Mm-hmm. It will be both an opportunity for business as well as for society from a from a job creation perspective. Then you also look at, you know, uh, you know what what what's really happening in terms of uh, continued uh, continued focus. On, on each of these elements. Uh, from a manufacturing standpoint, the government has come up with the PLI scheme, the production-linked incentive scheme, and they've committed a huge amount uh, to the PLI scheme in India across sectors, and they will continue to include more sectors in it. So in a way, there is enough incentivization for, uh, for manufacturing units to set up base in India. And I would actually uh, use this platform to say that, you know, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we should be trying to do something similar for the services side. I mean, you know, uh, a huge opportunity exists in India to leverage India's demographic dividend for the services segment. I mean, can we do more captives in India? Can we do more shared services centers in India? Uh, can we do a lot of managed manage services work for the globe in India to be able to leverage the India's demographic dividend and also create jobs in India? And I would, I would, I would like to believe that uh, you know there would be um, in due course. Uh, uh, enough uh, incentivization for some of that to happen, just as just as we have done on the PLI side. So I think that actually goes on the manufacturing side and the and, and the services side a little bit. Now let's look at the other side. And you know, as we have been just been discussing, you know, uh, from an India standpoint, um, you know, uh, as I was talking about, you know, the focus that our first generation today has on being entrepreneurial in that mindset. Mm-hmm. On focusing on uh, new ways of delivery, on using di- using digital technology means, etc., is 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 just is just tremendous. And you know, I, I get so energized when I meet some of these young entrepreneurs, mm. and I do believe that you know our our, our future is, is quite secure when I actually have a conversation with them. I do believe that this ecosystem is very very robust, and there is going to be significant innovation coming out from India in mm. in times to come. Um, also, uh, uh, one of the things which sort of uh, you know uh, gladdens me is the fact that you know we are actually trying to create the right uh, regulatory regime for some of these things as well. Um, yes, uh, there have been issues in the past about uh, about contract enforcement, and there have been issues about uh, IPRs. I think we are sort of trying to get to uh, mm-hmm. you know we are trying to get. It's a journey, and I'm sure we will sort of uh, get to some of the answers on some of those as well. And I think that can potentially create another opportunity for India. Uh, can India be, for instance, uh, the R&D hub? Mm-hmm. You know, for for the globe, right? I mean, if we have once we have the right kind of protection, 
Uh, and I think that's another opportunity that we have uh, that we have in India. And finally, I would say, uh, and something which you know um, I do believe is is again a big opportunity is you know you look at uh, you look at uh, the you know the application of uh, of of technology across the three segments of uh, of of our GDP, mm-hmm. and there is so much that one can do in terms of uh, using digital and technology means to fire up our manufacturing and our agriculture segments, uh, which will fire up productivity in both of them. Now, whether it is an industry 4.0 adoption, whether it is by 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 getting our agriculture sector uh, more productive uh, because of use of, uh, you know, analytics, technology, et cetera, I'm quite excited that that opportunity resides in India. And that will also help us balance the composition of our GDP in time. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that uh, we have the right ingredients, uh, but you know, I do agree that the key is an execution, uh, but we are we seem to be on the right track. Right. It's moving in the right direction, which is fantastic. For, thank you for that answer. Let's end this episode with this final question about leadership and responsibility. And hopefully my listeners will gain sort of further insights into your leadership and your perception of the role. I have a quote about leadership provided by John Deverell, a previous guest on Head's talk. He said, and I quote, leadership is a privilege and it's about service. Do you agree with this? And perhaps if you could add to this or even provide your own thoughts on leadership, Sanjeev. Thank you, Elaine, for that question. I, I, I would say that I agree. Uh, to me, uh, leadership is uh, it's a virtue. It's a huge responsibility which is entrusted upon you. Um, and, uh, and to me, uh, the way I look at leadership, it is all about, uh, I, would, I would say that it, it's, if, if I have to use one phrase for it, it's, it's, it's to say that uh, lift as you rise. I mean, you, know, you have the opportunity today uh, to help encourage, galvanize a number of people and empower them in a way that they can explore that side of theirs, which will bring out the best of them for for society at large and for businesses and for themselves most importantly and for their own individual growth. And I do believe that uh, that ought to be uh, uh, every leader's uh, uh, prerogative, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do believe um, as a leader, uh, one needs to be able to do three things. And, you know, I would would aspire to do them as much as I can, and I, I, I hope I can sort of uh, walk the talk because that's the first one. Mm-hmm. Walk the talk. I think that's the first one because you know I can say many things, but uh, unless I uh, unless unless I deliver on those, it means nothing. I think the second one really is um, to be able to treat your ecosystem, and the ecosystem is almost everybody with 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 respect because you know uh, I've actually been the benefactor of. Uh, that in the past, um, and I would like to believe that it is contingent upon us to, to make sure that we treat the our entire ecosystem with respect, and uh, that creates the right vibes, uh, and it just creates a happy and healthy organization. And the third one, really, uh, to the point, some of the points that we were discussing earlier, you know, uh, we should be encouraging people and letting them fail. You know, there are there are five things that that will that will not work well. But there are also those two that will work well. Mm-hmm. And that will create that excitement uh, in your team, in your people, uh, that you know, you, you, you are able to back them 
when they fail, but they have the courage and the conviction to continue to experiment. And those are the three things that Elaine, I would say, um, I would like uh, to sort of, uh, you know, mm -hmm. work on uh, in my years uh, in this position. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, I mean, you know, as I said, the execution is key. So, you know, I will also uh, try to make sure that I'm executing on some of these. Okay. You know, with your, your leadership now, um, your extensive experience and just sheer passion, the commitment to your work and the people who lead, I'm sure your first four years of your chairmanship will be a successful and admirable one, paving the way for others to follow you. Sanjeev Krishnan, it's been a pleasure. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you, Elaine. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.